right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with you solo again here on your Thursday, July 28th, almost to the month of August. That's when the return of football season starts to feel real, and I'm pretty sure Tuesday, August 2nd, is when KU football fall camp starts. That's when we'll start hearing more about position battles and who's impressing at that point of the season. We're going to start hearing audio from different players and coaches. That's an exciting time of year. We're going to be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World coming up here in about 35 minutes to talk some KU football with Matt. We've also got more RCST trivia coming at you on today's edition. Two more matchups on today's show should be good ones. And we also have a KU mailbag. If you have any last second questions, last minute questions you want to get in for the mailbag, hit me up at D Johnson radio on Twitter. You can also uh, hit us up at RCST 1320 or uh, I don't know. I, I guess you could hit up the, the text line here at the station. Some news as KU has landed a commit for the class of 2023. That would be one Blake Harold. Harold is a six foot four, 245 pound defensive lineman. He's out of Shenandoah. I, I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation there in Iowa. And he is a three star recruit uh, listed as the 179 ranked defensive lineman on 24 7 sports and the 23rd best player in Iowa. His 24-7 composite also has him as a three-star, top 1,500 nationally, 155th among defensive linemen, and 18th in the state of Iowa. He was recruited by Jim Panagos and Oscar Rodriguez Jr. And among the other schools that offered him, he had offers from North Dakota, North Dakota State, and Northern Iowa. So Kansas is the one Power 5 school there, but honestly, North Dakota State, and Northern Iowa has been like a really good FCS team, too. North Dakota State, if they're offering him, like we've seen North Dakota State beat like ranked Iowa teams. That team wins the title. I think they've won the FCS title like nine out of the last 11 years or something like that. That's basically like a, they play at like a power five level, uh, essentially. So uh, the fact that he had that offer, I, I think tells you something. And he doesn't have the 6'4", 245. Like that's not college-ready body to come in, but I think when you look at a lot of these guys that KU wants to bring in, it's, hey, we're going to bring him in. We like the way he works. We like the way that he does this and in that technique. We like whatever about him. We're going to focus on adding the other stuff to him and developing him. And if we can get him up to, you know, 6'4", 265, something like that after we, we redshirt him a year, 275, and then all of a sudden he's a long-term player. So that another uh, class of 2023 commit for the University of Kansas. We've been doing our KU football positional preview and breakdowns or whatnot. We're almost through all of them. 
We just have the defensive backs, which will split up into the corners and the safeties, and then we have the special teams returners. We did the specialists, but we haven't done the returners yet. What we're doing today is the linebackers, which last year the linebackers were the biggest position of question. They, they were the position that struggled the most, I would say, for Kansas a season ago. And on top of it, now you head into this year, losing the guy who graded out the best among all the linebackers he had last year. You brought on a ton of guys, though, via the transfer portal and with additions that should really bolster this group. And this is a group that has to get better because KU's defense gave up 42 points per game. They were awful in run defense. It's not all on the linebackers. We talked yesterday about the interior defensive linemen, and a big part of the interior defensive line's job isn't just to rack up tackles or tackle for losses. It's to bring on two blockers. It's to move the blocker in an angle that is going to open up a gap for the linebacker to shoot through, or it is to clear traffic away so that the linebacker doesn't have to occupy any blockers that they can uncontested make the tackle. So it's not just about the linebackers. Uh, but I think both those positions in run defense struggled, and, and again, certainly linebacker was a position of weakness for KU last year. So you lose Nate Betts. He played in nine games. He started six of them. He was kind of in that more specific role. Like, of the linebackers, there there's one that's more so the safety linebacker hybrid guy, and that's what Nate Betts was. He was a former safety, so he's kind of playing that linebacker safety hybrid role that KU asks of one of their linebackers that I think Craig Young is going to play this year. We'll get to him later on. But Betts had a 57 pro football focus grade, better in coverage where he was a 61. And like I said, he was the highest graded KU linebacker last year who played 50 or more snaps over the course of the season. Now, if you, you look at it from a Big 12 perspective, I've talked about this a lot, among players at their position who qualify for that position in the Big 12, 34 of them by snap count did. He ranked 21st, and that was KU's best linebacker. Essentially, that's saying if you have nine other teams in the Big 12 and each of them have a star, like, you know, two of their top linebackers, that takes up the top 18 spots. So, in theory, KU's best linebacker last year wasn't even as good as the top two linebackers of every other Big 12 team. That's obviously a problem, and he was the highest ranked of the group. Now, Nick Channel actually had the highest grade, but it was such limited snaps. He played just 44 snaps last year, had a 78 grade. It was mostly in, in garbage time against backups and whatnot and kind of a different role that he had to play. He was more of a thumper, a big hitter. He played in 11 games last year, 21 in his career. He's more of depth, special teams guy. Jay Deneen was more of a run-stopping linebacker. Didn't get on the field a ton last year. Three games played for him, 29 in his career. And then you have Alonzo Person, who was brought in as a three-star recruit and seen as someone who had a, a pretty high potential for what he could be in the linebacking court. But he uh, had some off-the-field stuff kick off his season last year, and now he is not listed on the team. I, I don't remember what happened there, but obviously you kind of have your expectations of, of what did happen there, which is unfortunate, um, but the right move in, in the end. So... Uh, as far as who's returning for KU at the position, you have Rich Miller, 6'1", 225-pound senior. He has two years left to play, though. Former Buffalo transfer, came in last year. He was actually more of like the, the first linebacker off the bench in his time at Buffalo, and so he came over to Kansas, and it was 
well, how much is he going to play if, if he wasn't really a starter at Buffalo? I think what we found out is last year, if he would have stayed at Buffalo, he would have ended up being a, a starter. And as the season went on, I think he kind of fortified his position as the best linebacker of that group last season by the thing, by the the end and, and when things were all said and done. It's not like the best title in the world to say you were the best at a position that really struggled for a team that went two and ten, but he showed a lot of good flashes last year. He played twelve games overall. He started nine of them. He had seventy nine tackles, five for a loss, two sacks, a forced fumble, and he earned himself all Big Twelve honorable mention. Pro Football Focus grade, not as great though. Forty nine on Pro Football Focus. He was fifty one in run defense, sixty in tackling, sixty five in pass rush, and forty four in coverage. So he's looking to add more both in run defense and coverage. Uh, that ranked twenty seventh of thirty four in the Big 12 for linebackers. Before his career, experienced guy, 32 games played, over 100 career tackles. Gavin Potter is back for his fourth year. He is a 6'2", 225-pound senior. He, too, has two years left to play. Seemed like he kind of flirted with going into the transfer portal, but opted to return to Kansas. Last year, he was an 11-game starter, played in all 12. He had 78 tackles, five for loss, a sack, and a pick six, but the pro football focus grade was tough for him. 38 on pro football focus. He was just graded as a 33 out of 100 in run defense, just a 46 in tackling, and just a 48 in coverage. The one thing that he did better than the rest was his pass rush grade, which was a 58, which that's kind of been a theme for him. His previous two years, he had a 69 and 86 pass rush grade as well. So he's kind of a linebacker who's good at blitzing. Um, has a specific niche there, but he struggled in some of the other areas. Maybe another year in the system can help him through that. But he ranked 33 of 34 Big 12 linebackers last year. To his credit, he played well in the season finale. He had a 66 overall grade in the West Virginia game, which if you're getting that over the course of the season from your linebackers, you know, in the mid-60s from a lot of these guys, like that's going to rank well enough in comparison to the Big 12. But overall, again, experienced guy, 33 games played, or 32, 24 games started, almost 170 tackles, 10.5 for loss. It's it's almost tough for him because, you know, he came in right away as a freshman, and, and body-wise, I don't think he was ready yet for the rigors of the Big 12. But because Kansas didn't have a lot of depth there when he was a freshman, he got tossed into the fire early on, and you wonder how that can maybe stunt a guy's growth. So uh, you hope that the experience he had last year can lead to improved play from him because it was really a slog last season. Taiwan Barry Hill is someone we've heard a lot about from coaches as being one of the more improved players of this team from last year to this year. He's a six foot two, 225 pound junior. He has three years left to play. Also has a potential red shirt, which I'm not expecting to happen at this point. I mean, he played in 12 games last year. He started four of them, but you brought on all these linebackers. So I guess it's not impossible that they could just decide that, you know, he's our fifth linebacker. At that point, is it just worth it just to use him in four games, keep a redshirt year? It might be at that point. But he had a 48 pro football focus grade. Again, not great number there. But he was one of the better tacklers of the linebackers, graded a 66 there. He was 57 in pass coverage and 42 in run defense. But he ranked 29th of 34 Big 12 linebackers, and uh, he has played in 17 career games. Krishan Brown is someone else we've kind of heard about in the offseason as being someone who has taken some big steps here over the offseason. 6'1", 226-pound redshirt sophomore. He has three years left. 
Just played in three games last year, four in his career. Only played in 18 snaps last year. He was best in coverage among everything, but again, such a small sample size. Cornell Wheeler is a six foot, 220 pound redshirt sophomore. He has three years left. Didn't play after coming in as a four star recruit to Michigan. Then he transferred to Kansas. Um, he played in eight games last year, mostly on special teams. He did log 11 snaps on defense and uh, is a 41 PFF grade. So nothing that sticks out there in limited time. Uh, the last three guys Dylan Downing, 6'1, 235 pound redshirt junior. Nine games played last year. Mostly in special teams, Donovan Gaines, a five foot ten, two hundred thirteen pound redshirt sophomore, who has three years left. He took eleven snaps, mostly in that kind of linebacker safety hybrid role, and played a lot on special teams. And then Cole Mondi, the five foot ten, two hundred fifteen pound redshirt freshman, who redshirted last year. He has four years left. Local kid from Lawrence High, and uh, continuing to try to work his way up the ladder as a walk on. The newcomers is where things get really interesting. So KU actually didn't bring on any freshman newcomers to the linebacking unit unless, you know, you get some more walk-ons or something like that. But as far as the guys that have been reported with with commits and everything, uh, not the case. But they brought on four different players via the transfer portal from this position. And, I mean, think about that. You're starting three linebackers. So you brought on four. That shows you that on its own they, they needed more there. So they bring on Craig Young, 6'3", 225-pound redshirt junior. He has two years left to play. He transfers in from Ohio State where he had a limited amount of time played but was impressive in what he did. He got an 87 transfer grade by 24-7 sports. The highest-graded guys for KU were 87-88. That puts you as one of the you know top 300 or so transfers in the country, so that's a big deal that he had that number. This is one of the guys that, among the newcomers, I mean, this is for sure one of the top two or three guys I'm most interested to see. And maybe overall on the team, for sure, top five guy that I'm interested in, in watching what it looks like for KU this year. Because this dude, you, you see pictures of him. I mean, it, it's the exact NFL body you could imagine. Six foot three. He is chiseled. He is muscular. He is fast. He is athletic. Uh, by all accounts, like everything you could want as a possible guy who's playing that kind of linebacker safety hybrid role, which I kind of expect him to play because that's kind of what he did at Ohio State. He was playing some safety there. And last year uh, at Ohio State, he played 12 games, started one, had 15 tackles, a couple pass breakups. He had a pick six as well. In 138 snaps, he registered a 72 grade on pro football focus. So you heard me mention all those other linebacker grades for the KU players. You heard a lot of players in the the 40s or 50s or 30s. He was a 72. He was 73 in run defense. He was 73 in coverage. Now, the tackling numbers in the pass rush weren't great, but you don't really expect him to be used in pass rush. Um, and overall, the grade of 72, that would have been the eighth highest in the Big 12 last year. So if you're getting a top 10 guy, and then you can get someone else in the top 20. We keep going on that theme. And then someone else in the top 30. You're at least sort of more in line with the other Big 12 teams. Um, so Craig Young is someone I'm really interested in. And, and it's not just last year. He had over a 70 pro football focus grade the last two seasons as well. The amount of athleticism he had on its own and the college-ready body, like that on its own is a big boost to the defense. Then you have Eric Gilliard who I'll be very interested to see what his role is. He's a 5'11", 230-pound redshirt senior. 
I think he does have two years left to play if he wants. I could be wrong on that. He transferred in from UCF. He only got an 81 transfer grade on 24-7 sports, so not a very high number there. Um, he's kind of a specific role player in, in the way I view things. But last year, he took a red shirt. He played four games. He registered 23 tackles. He had a 59 grade on Pro Football Focus. So not something that jumps off the page, but still better than all the KU linebackers. At the very least, it's an improvement there. But he's an experienced guy. 37 games played with a good program at UCF and future Big 12 program. 197 tackles, 18 and a half for loss, two interceptions, and three forced fumbles. He's been pretty consistent with his play. Uh, the, the pro football focus grades by year, 59, 60, 50, 59, right? So he's, he's been right around there, which again, not numbers that jump off the page, but if he's one of your you know last starters or one of your guys who's depth, that's improvement on any of your linebackers last year that helps this unit overall. The thing that he's been great in, and this is what I'm talking about when I say that he fits a specific role, a specific niche, his last three years, here's how he graded in tackling. 76, 81, 78 out of 100. Those are really good numbers from the tackling perspective. And KU, as much as the linebackers struggled, one of the key pieces of that was they struggled just making tackles. And Gilliard's been solid in run defense. Um, The pass coverage has has been kind of what's kept things down. He's only been past a 50 grade in pass coverage once. It was last season when he was at 54, which was his career high. Every other year, he was below 50. So this is a run-stopping, hard-hitting, secure tackling linebacker that has its uses, right? Short downs or uh, short yardage plays, um, you know, early downs where you think they're running it. Now, that doesn't guarantee it because if you send out your, your run-stopping linebacker and then they pass it on first down, obviously that hurts. But you can find specific roles for a guy like that who is very good at something specific. And when you have a good coaching staff, they're going to find ways to utilize guys in their strengths. At the very least, though, as I mentioned, he's experienced, and even if he's depth, he's better than what you had last year. Tristian Fletcher is uh, a, a JUCO transfer. He's a six foot, two hundred fifteen pounder. He has three years left, plus a redshirt available, so it could be four if he redshirts. I would imagine that's probably the plan for him this year. He can play four games in depth. You redshirt him, and then you have uh, a guy for down the road. He transferred in from Trinity Valley Community College. He got an 83 transfer grade on 24-7 sports. He was the 117th ranked JUCO recruit and eighth for linebackers. And then Lorenzo McCaskill, six foot two, 210 pounds. This is his last year of college football, and it is his sixth overall experienced player. He comes in from Louisiana. He got an 88 transfer grade. That tied him with Lonnie Phelps and Kai Thomas among KU's best transfers coming in because he was second team all Sunbelt last year. Played 13 games for a Louisiana team that was a top 25 program. Had 84 tackles, three for loss. And again, he would have been your best um, linebacker by Pro Football Focus. Had a 63 grade. He was 64 in run defense. Again, secure tackler. 85 as a tackler, 65 in coverage. He would have been the 14th highest in Big 12. So if you have Craig Young, if he can be top 10, and Lorenzo McCaskill can be top 15, top 20, and then you have other guys like Eric Gilliard or Rich Miller who can fit into specific roles, you're really improving on where you were last year. As far as that projected depth chart, I'm viewing Craig Young as as the guy, as that kind of linebacker safety hybrid. I'm looking at Lorenzo McCaskill and saying, 
You got brought in so late with your pedigree. I'm expecting you to be a starter, especially in your sixth and final year of college. And then the way Rich Miller came on, I, I have high hopes for what he can be. I, I'll go with him at the other starting spot if I'm having to guess it right now, still with a lot of competition to go from here. I'll take Eric Gilliard as kind of the backup that comes in on the rundowns. And then between Gavin Potter, Taiwan Berryhill, uh, Krishan Brown, Cornell Wheeler, and then Eric Gilliard again, like those guys are in rotation for the backups. But that, I mean, that should be a hell of a competition between, I just named five guys for even three backup spots or three backup spots in one starting spot if you want to throw in Rich Miller. There's just a lot more competition there. There's a lot more depth. There's a lot better starting pieces overall in that linebacking unit, which is exciting. But from where you were starting last year, it's not a high bar to clear. So that becomes the key questions. Like, how much will the transfers make an immediate impact? You're joining a new defense. In some of these cases, you're stepping up in competition. And can you mix and match enough guys to fit what you need? Like I said, uh, you can use Eric Gilliard on rundowns. Or will that hurt them too much in pass and give away too much of, hey, they're bringing him in, they must be playing a run defense. Or, you know, if you have a pass coverage linebacker and pass downs, could it give away that this is what they're doing if it, they have him in on a normal play, right? Um, Gavin Potter has been really good as a blitzer. Or could that make things too obvious that when he's in there that you're running a blitz, right? Like you have that kind of balance between having guys that are good at specific things, but maybe not the most ultra well-rounded player that you don't want to give things away. So they have a lot of pieces who have those specific skills. Can you mix and match them enough so that it's not just kind of one-sided in one way? And the bottom line here is this. This was KU's weakest link among position groups last season. Between guys who are ready to break out, transfers that you brought in, which I think is the biggest piece here, it feels very transformative both in terms of the starters that you bring in and in terms of the depth you have that you didn't have last year and maybe even the last two or three years, that's a good thing. But this was one of those positions where it was, yeah, there's ninth in the Big 12, there's a big gap, then there's Kansas at last, as opposed to just, okay, yeah, maybe Kansas is last, but they're right in line with the next worst team. That was not the case last year. So this group has a lot of room for improvement that they need to improve if they want to get better on the defensive end. It's probably the one that will be the most improved when you look at, first of all, where they were and then add on all the players that they added. But how much will it improve is really going to be the ultimate question about how much better they can stop the run and overall just play defensively. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate will join us in 15 minutes here on KLWN, depending on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Joined now on a Thursday by Matt Tate of Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt was uh, enjoying a vacation earlier this week, but we've uh, got him back now, and I'm sure he's chomping at the bit ready to go for 
uh, fall camp upcoming here in less than a week here for KU football. We, we've been going through our positional previews on the show right now for the KU football team. What do you, when you look at all these different positions, what do you look at as being the most improved position for KU coming into the season? Oh, improved. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's hard to say running back so quickly like I wanted to because Devin Neal obviously was a stud last year and, and is back. But, um, but but that one jumps out to me. I mean, they, they added a couple of really – impactful dudes um to that to that position and and i think that's going to help devin i think it's going to help the team i think there's a lot to like about um you know their entire rushing attack heading into next season uh there's versatility each of those guys can play a little bit different style they can spell each other you know you're not going to have to wear down one guy whether it's in a game or or over the course of the season um and, and from the sound of it you know they all uh they all are ready to do that. I mean, they're all ready to support each other. It's not like there's a there's bad blood or anything negative about the uh, the additional uh, you know reinforcements or whatever you want to call them that have come into that position. So uh, it, it might be tough to answer that clean because I I think the running back position was in pretty good shape because I think Devin Neal's really good, but I do think it got a lot better, and uh, and so you know that that's the one that kind of jumps out for me. Okay, on the flip side of that, what's the position that I guess I'm not going to ask the flip side of that where it's what's the most deproved got worse. position, right? No, but but what is the position that uh, you have the most question marks about right now? I, there's a few, obviously, um, but I am really really interested to see what happens at, at wide receiver. Um, you know, getting Arnold back after he was initially going to leave uh, was really big news and a huge huge thing, I think. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you, you lost a couple of guys, especially Kwame Lasseter, who, uh, you know, that's a big time veteran player who was, uh, you know, just really reliable and, and you knew you could count on him. So I think there's players there. I just think that, you know, some of them are going to have to prove that they're ready and that there's, there's an opportunity, uh, that they're willing to, to grab hold of and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think another answer for the first question, sorry to get off track here, but I, I think obviously the linebacker position got better too, uh, perhaps a lot better. And and so I, I as much as that's a, a, an answer for, for the first question, that could also be an answer for the second question because um, I do have questions about it. I mean, there's a lot of new faces and some guys that will probably play pretty monster roles maybe right away and so we need to see if they're ready we need to see if they are the upgrade that that maybe it looks like they could be so um there's some questions there in addition to uh you know to that getting that position seemingly getting better um that's another one that jumps out um and, and of course you know i mean i i think there's a lot to like about Jalen Daniels in the quarterback position, but I, I think, you know, you'd be crazy not to at least mention it. Um, I, I think Jalen's ready to take this thing and run with it and, and be the guy, and, and I think that's how everybody's been operating throughout the offseason, and, and uh, I think he showed a ton down the stretch last year, and, and he's only matured and grown in his confidence and, and things of that nature, too. Um, but it's still Kansas, and it's still the quarterback position, and it's still the one they haven't solved over the last, you know, 10, 11 years. And, and so um, this may be one of the better 
preseasons that they've had in terms of the outlook at that position, but we still have to see if that's actually, um, you know, quote-unquote solved. So I, I think you have to at least mention it, even though I think most people do feel good about Jalen in that role. And, and and then, of course, Jason Bean. You know, I mean, there's there's – there's still a, uh, an opportunity there, I think, for him not not necessarily to beat him out, but but just to play a role, to have some packages that he's the quarterback in, and and maybe you know add some versatility and and just a little uh, wrinkle to to the offense. So you know it, it, it's nice if 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 Jalen isn't everything that everybody thinks he's going to be. It's nice to have a guy like Bean as as sort of that fallback, if you will. But, you know, I, I really don't think it's going to come to that. But um, then the question becomes, how do you get creative with how you use Bean? And, and can you do that? And, and all of those things. But but like I said, I mean, this, is, this has been a year after year after year issue. And so if you don't, you know, if you don't say quarterback just because one guy who you like played three pretty good games, um, it, you know, I don't know that that's fully solved yet and, and automatically, oh, well, it's not a problem anymore. We don't, we don't have to worry about it. I, I think you always worry about the quarterback. I think, I think Tampa Bay is worrying about the quarterback and they've got Tom Brady, um, you know, but uh, that's a position that's just so important across all levels that, that you always have to worry about it a little bit and make sure that, you know, you've got answers that are, that are, you know, more than just, Hey, we feel good about our guy. You know, you got to have more than that. So I, I think Kansas does. And, and I think Jalen's going to have a big year, but um, we got to see it first. If you could add any player from the post Mark Mangino days, so I'm talking Turner Gill and on that's not currently on this team. If you could add them to this team, who would it be? Because that, I mean, the name that immediately comes to mind whenever we do stuff like this is oh, like Puka Williams. But you obviously don't really need the the running back help. No, I would, yeah, it wouldn't be him, right? It yeah. wouldn't. Um, boy, that's a tough question. Um, there's a lot of options. Um, you, you know, again, f- further strengthen the linebackers with Ben Heaney or Joe Deneen. You could add to the D line with Daniel Wise or Dorrance Armstrong. Do you add another offensive lineman with Akeem Adenji or? At their receiver position that you said, uh, you know, you do have some questions there, even though you, it was big, you brought back L.J. Arnold or Steven Sims. I don't know. There's some interesting options. For sure, yeah. Hakeem was the one that jumped out to me um, before you undercut me and made Sorry. me look bad like I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, O-line, as much as quarterback has been the issue for Kansas over the last 10, 12 years, um, part of that has been because of the O-line. And, and so – I think that, you know, there's a little sensitivity there and, and people do understand that, you know, ah, boy, we're only as good in our run game or with our quarterback as the guys up front allow them to be. And so I think identity would be a really good pick. And, and that, that's not a knock on anybody that's on the line this year. I do think it's going to be a, a, a one of their better lines they've had. Um, it is really tempting to think about adding a guy like Ben Heaney. Um, you know, it, it really is. But um, I, I think in terms of just pure need, um, I, I did want to think about receiver too. Um, but I, I, who stands out? Steven Sims was a good answer. Jeremiah Booker, I guess, was another one. Um, Prime you know, you could go. Charlotte. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's not that's not too bad. There. Let's see. I had a couple others on the top of my on the top tip of my tongue right there. Um, 
Who like uh, let's see, so I can remember Laquiviante Gonzalez, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't put, I wouldn't pick him. But who, who was the? Uh, oh my gosh, King Nigel Nigel King. King. Yeah, they had uh, what him, Nick Harwell, and I think Jimmy Mundine as the uh, tight end. That was like the the three headed monster there. Yeah, those you know Nigel King was really good. I mean, he had a really good year, uh, and, and they just lost, and so nobody remembers that. But um, but that said, I mean, I think what you get out of uh, you know the, the receivers on this roster, you can find ways to to get them the ball. They're all guys that can do the job, and and you don't necessarily need to go find your your version of To or Randy Moss or whatever, right? Like you you can get it done with with. Um, just sort of, you know, blue collar, hard worker guys. So I, I think protecting the quarterback and, and helping the run game with a with a guy like Adenogy, uh, you know, an NFL draft pick, uh, a former, you know, All Big Twelve type of guy. I mean, I, I think that's too tempting to pass up. So that that's probably what I would do. Well, you were like I said, just on vacation. Uh, you were out in the. I don't know. Is it the land of the sun? I don't know what it is. Uh, what's your take on uh, kind of themed with that? The Vegas over under win total for KU at two and a half. Oh man, we actually talked about this on my trip. It was my my annual guys trip from uh, buddies of mine from high school, and uh, we do it every year in late July. And this somebody plans it different every year, and, and you just kind of roll with whatever they plan. So this one was a, a trip up to luxurious Prairie Meadows. Horse track and casino, casino. Geez, I can't even speak. Um, in Altoona, Iowa. So you know we've done some cool ones like whitewater rafting in Portland and uh, trip to Vegas, trip to San Diego. We went to Breckenridge last year, but you know this year we went big. We went to Altoona, <laughs> Iowa, and uh, hey, they got a great so, like uh, strip mall right over there by that casino. You you nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> outlet mall. Right. Yeah, yeah it's there. <laughs> Uh, the only reason I know that is because I lost every bet I made and had to find something else to do. So, um, but yeah, no, it was uh, it was a good time. But but we did actually talk about this, um, and and uh, and I, it's so hard. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of reason to believe that that three wins or more even is is attainable and maybe even likely, but. It, you know, maybe I was just gun shy because of of losing all the other baseball bets, which I absolutely hate betting on baseball. But <laughs> that's July, so um, you know, maybe I was just gun shy and, and trying to like back off of any bet. But but you know, it's hard to make that bet. I think it's hard to say that. I mean, you know, you like Week One, right? Tennessee Tech, of course, you like that at home. But then the the two road games out of the gate are are really problematic for me i mean at west virginia you got to play a big 12 game early uh and then you go at houston uh a top what 10 to 15 team um just picked to win the uh the conference and and coming off a really strong year um not to say you couldn't go compete with either of those teams but both on the road both early in the season one of them at least is really really good um you know so you wonder i wonder anyway what what if you go take losses in both of those games, even if you're competitive, I mean, what's your what's your confidence level at? You know, where, where does that sit at one and two coming home for that Duke game? Um, Duke should or KU should beat Duke, um, but as we talked about in in Iowa, um, 
if you look at Duke's number, I think the number there is three and a half. And so all the Duke fans out there that are doing this very thing are saying, well, Kansas is one. Mm-hmm. You know, they're counting it, right? So it's, it's a reminder that you, no matter how diehard of a KU fan you might be, I don't think you can say, yeah, we'll get that one. I mean, should at home, not a great team, and, and you're trending up. Uh, I, I think absolutely you should expect to win that game, but I, I don't know that you can count it when it comes to uh, making that kind of wager. So that makes me nervous um, because if you don't get that one, then you got to win two Big 12 games, and that's hard to see. doesn't mean it can't happen, but it is, it is certainly something that has been very hard to do uh, for Kansas over the last decade, and uh, – and and even if you do get that one, if you're two and two, you still have to go win another one, and and uh, you know to get to that over. So, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you made me bet on it, I would just pretend I don't speak English and not listen and <laughs> tell you I couldn't hear you and just not do it. I think it's just it's too hard of a line. But if I if I absolutely had to. I don't know which way I would go. I mean, it really is that tough. If it was two, you know, you'd take the over and then take the push. That's fine. But two and a half makes it interesting. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm leaning over right now, and, and I don't know that it's necessarily a game that I, I point out and I'm like, well, they'd have to win that. But you're right. If, if you lose the Duke game, which is more of a coin flip than you'd hope, then all of a sudden it's, you know, like you said, kind of back to square one. Okay, so sticking on this theme of, of making a bet, um, our CST football trivia has begun. Ryan Goodwin, uh, I, I don't know if he was there on your, on your trip with you, but he was. Okay, he was. okay, great. Yeah. So he came in at number one in the preseason rankings, and, and I don't know. Yeah, we but, talked about that. Too. Okay, we did. I, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. We've obviously talked about how you guys have pressured Ryan before. If you had the option to place a bet on Ryan to win our CST trivia as the favorite, I don't know what that would run as, like three to one, four to one, something like that. Would you take the bet? I would. And I'll tell wow. you why. He, uh, we had about a four hour drive home and, uh, and he asked, uh, for some study help. So I got the media guide out and we just went through all kinds of things. I, one of my best friends who was also on this trip is a K state fan. So he was asking a lot of K state um, related type questions, you know, in this year, KU did this to K-State, who was the quarterback, or who did, you know, things like that specifically about K-State games. And, and then I was, uh, you know, we discussed his weak spots, his, his blind spots, you know, he has very clear strengths, um, and he knows it, but, but we discussed his weak spots and then we tried to coach him up on that. I will say that he, uh, I think he, I don't think he did. I know he did because he's smart. He's a head coach and, and he's a, he's a veteran of these things. So on Tuesday he was scouting his, uh, his division <laughs> and watching the others and uh, listened to those games. And, and he came away worried. Um, he admitted to us that he is, uh, he is concerned and that he thinks if he doesn't get to work, you know, he's going to take third maybe in his division. So um, when you combine his knowledge and his passion for KU football, for better or worse, um, with the fact that now, you know, he, he understands that he can't just waltz into this and expect the name on the jersey to be good enough for him. He's got to show up and compete and be ready and scout and prepare. Those two things, I think, have him ready. And, and so 
um, you know, obviously it'll be a, a colossal failure if he doesn't get it done. I mean, it'll be a, a total embarrassment, and, you know, he'll embarrass all of those of us who know him. I mean, because this is for his entire life what he has prided himself on, claiming to know and care more about KU football than anybody out there. And so if that can't serve you well in a setting like this, I don't know when it'll ever help you. So he has to deliver. And normally it's, you know, rule of thumb, bet against the guy. That's, that's how I've lived my whole life. But I think he's ready for this one. I think he is. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time, and uh, we'll see if that serves as extra motivation or, or what for Ryan, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. I, I think at that point he'll have gone for the first time, and, and we'll be able to kind of recap whatever happens. Let's do it. I'm excited for, uh, for this. And, and truly, like, Ryan Goodwin aside, man, this is, you know, your, your, your March Madness one is always real cool, and, and that's been fun from the beginning. But this is so cool. I, I love your format. I love how you set it up. And, uh, you know, whether people are, are interested in participating in future years or not, I think everybody should be willing and, and interested in, in listening to this because it's, it's a really cool setup. I, I, I like how you uh, organized it and put a lot of thought into uh, to setting it up to make it different than the basketball one. And, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I'll be honest, in some ways, I think it might be cooler than the basketball one. So kudos to you. It's really cool. And, and uh, you know, keep doing what you do, man. I appreciate it. Kind words. You can check out all Matt's work at KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Matt, I appreciate it as always, man. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you next week. That was Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with you on today's edition of RCST. Coming up at about 425, 430 here, we're going to get into some more RCST trivia. we got two more matchups coming at you on today's edition of the show, and this will finish out this week's versions uh, for week one of RCST trivia, and then we can move on to week two. We'll have updated rankings with some games. We'll... Uh, send out a, a graphic with all the uh, standings as well. So that to come a little later on the show. Also in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about the Royals. They made a trade. Andrew Benintendi on the move to the New York Yankees. They got three prospects back. We'll discuss more about that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. This is some news from Pete Thamel, who reported, uh, said, Kansas is finalizing a deal to hire former Nebraska offensive coordinator Matt Lubick as a senior analyst. Lubick is a veteran assistant with stops at six other Power 5 schools, including Washington, Oregon, and Ole Miss. Um, I don't know a ton about him. Obviously, if he was at Nebraska, it doesn't sound like they had the best season, but that is a name that is rung the bell, and clearly he has experience at other Power 5 jobs. He's coming in as an analyst. You want as many smart people as you can in those analyst jobs like you look at what Alabama has done I, I think they've been kind of the I don't know the model school for for how you do this like Nick Saban has brought in so many guys for analyst roles who maybe floundered out at a certain role like they just you know couldn't cut it as head coach maybe they were more of a coordinator or struggled in in some regard or dropped down from the NFL or whatever it was and then they come be an analyst there and 
you know, Nick Saban takes some things from them. They try to take some things from Nick Saban and then they leave and go somewhere else. And for the most part, end up not being as successful, but they help out the system when they are there as an analyst, because it gives you another mind on things. It gives you somebody who has a different perspective on things. So always good when, when you can bring on more people as, as analysts into the program, which as much as the, the less miles whole situation ended up being a disaster for KU, that was one of the, the things that came out of that tenure that ended up being a big win for Kansas. The commitment to the program itself, not just in terms of like improved facilities with the Anderson football complex or improved locker rooms or whatever, but in terms of, of adding more coaches, adding more staff members that can help you in a lot of these different ways. Okay. With that said, uh, we have a KU mailbag. If you want to get in any last second questions, no promises that I will see them, but you can hit me up at D Johnson radio on Twitter or our Twitter account at RCST 1320. And with that being said, let's get into it. First question comes from Dallas Jayhawk on Twitter. I never got clarification from this. So if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to go ahead and I'll, I'll take my best stab at this. Uh, he asked me to rank the players that have worn number three. I guess technically I could have taken this anywhere I wanted. I could have ranked uh, cricket players who wear the number three. Do they wear numbers in cricket? I don't know. Not not a question that I know the answer to. Um, I'm assuming that this was meant for football, but I'll just I'll, I'll give a football one and I'll, I'll give a little basketball one as well. So for football, you know, I went back and looked and I went back as guys who have their jersey retired or not jersey retired that have their name in the ring of honor at KU. Um, went back and looked at guys who were past like all Americans at KU. And actually, like number three has not been like a very fruitful jersey number for KU football. Now, obviously, there's there's one guy for sure that comes to mind for everyone when you think of number three. And I think for probably a lot of fans, probably two of them really come to mind. The first is obviously Aqib Tlaib. Um, I think that he has a great case as being number one on this list of KU football players to wear the number three. It's not just like recency bias of a great KU player, you know, in the last couple decades to do it, but he has his ring in the ring or uh, name in the ring of honor, which, like I said, he is the only player with his name in the ring of honor, I believe, who wore the number three. So that on its own can get you there. But he was an All-American first round draft pick. I think he did enough in, in the pro game that I think he could earn a uh, nod to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm trying to think sometimes it can come down to like you know, how many all pros did you get? How many uh, Pro Bowl selections did you get? And I don't know how many he had, but he had some Super Bowls in there as well. Um, did Tlaib. Let's see. He was a Pro Bowler in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. So that's five straight years. He was an All-Pro in 2016. He got, I think, a Super Bowl with Denver and with New England. I mean, winning player. I don't know. I, I think that he deserves to probably be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, point being, it's hard to not choose him when you add in both the individual success of what he accomplished, just lockdown corner. He racked up interceptions. He obviously led you to maybe the most storied season in program history. I mean, the most storied season in program history. You win the Orange Bowl, go 12-1. and one. He was the best player on that team, and he was a two-way player. He wasn't like a full-time two-way player. 
he did have some impact as an offensive player, as a receiver, but he was just that good on the defensive side of the ball. I don't, I don't think there would be any qualms with having him as the number one KU football player to wear the number three. Again, there could be somebody that I just I just don't know about that played in like the 1920s or something or doesn't have his jersey retire or name in the ring of honor for some reason. Um, and if so, let me know. Uh, the next guy on the list I would have would be Charles Gordon. Charles Gordon was the original number three, actually on the same team as Aqib Tlaib. Charles Gordon wore number three over Aqib Tlaib when they were on the same roster together. So should that actually put Charles Gordon ahead on the list of Aqib Tlaib? Um, but he was kind of the original two-way player of the number threes as well. And I think, like, Aqib Tlaib, if you were to rank Aqib Tlaib corner, Aqib Tlaib receiver, Charles Gordon uh, defensive back, Charles Gordon receiver, Aqib Tlaib corner would be the number one of those four. But if you're adding it up in terms of you know, like what Charles Gordon did as a receiver versus what Aqib Talib did as a receiver. Charles Gordon was a, a better two-way player in that sense than Aqib Talib was. Like, Charles Gordon was a better receiver than Aqib Talib. It's just that Talib was so dominant as a corner that that dominance on that end of the ball overdoes what, you know, Charles Gordon was able to do on both sides of the ball which was a good receiver, more than what Aqib Tlaib had, but it wasn't like an, an all-conference receiver necessarily. But he was still a really good player on, on both ends of the football. And uh, I, I think for a lot of people, that would be the original number three that they might think of for those years. So he'd probably be number two on that list. Outside of that, it's kind of just a mismatch. Um, let's see. I could go with, I don't know, like... Tony Pearson, do you remember him? He was kind of solid for a few years there. Uh, Gerald McBurrows almost played like a decade in the NFL at safety. I think he wore number three at Kansas. Darian Miller looked good for, for a quick stretch of play at KU. You had Evan Fares at receiver who always had good potential with his height. Uh, Jacquez Crawford in 2008. I don't know. There's not like... There's not like an overwhelming option that at least stuck stood out to me when I was kind of going back and look at this stuff. But I keep to leaving Charles Gordon. That's a really good first two when you're looking at guys to uh, wear the number three. Now, if we did, if this was meant to be a basketball thing, um, I just to make it easier because I did think this question was was related to football. But just to answer the question, best number threes of KU basketball players. Let's just do the Bill Self ones again. Smaller list than I would have expected. Like, three is not, like, a weird number. It's not like a guy wearing 16 on the basketball court or something, which, actually, now that I just said that, you can't do that because it can only be digits one through five in uh, college basketball. But if we just did Bill Self players to wear the number three, I'm pretty sure there's only, like, five of them who have even done so to begin with. And, again, I might be missing someone here. Um, Brett Olson, obviously not going to put him number one. No offense. Uh, Sam Cunliffe. Again, like not going to put him number one. Andrew White ended up having a nice little career in Nebraska and Syracuse. Didn't really do much at Kansas. And then the, the top two guys, if you're ranking the best Bill Self player to wear the number three, it'd have to either be Russell Robinson or Dewan Harris. So not not a great number. If, if you're a young recruit looking to come in and make your mark with a different jersey number than other guys, I mean, you can't right now because Dewan Harris has the number three, but come in, wear the number three. So I think, honestly, if you were having to rank the Bill Self players to wear number three, it'd be Russell Robinson, one, Dewan Harris, number two. Dewan and, and Russell Rob, probably by the time that Harris is going to finish his career, will be thought of very similarly. 
And Harris is going to actually have the opportunity to play an extra season that Robinson did not because of the COVID year. So I would imagine Harris will have a, a good chance to usurp him on the all-time rankings of uh, Bill Self players to wear the number three. Both would have a title, both more defensive first guards that could facilitate. I think Russ Rob, you had a little bit more from a scoring punch. But again, Dewan Harris has more years in front of him to improve on that stuff. But as of now, it's Russell Robinson ahead of Dewan Harris in that list. Uh, kind of a, a sad list there, to say the least. Okay, this next question comes from Kyle. Kyle uh, is a part of our trivia event, and uh, as part of the trivia, I asked for everyone to give me their favorite KU football player of all time. And one of the names that he gave me, he said, you know, I, I really thought we had something there with Carmen Boyd Anderson. Um, you know, he had some flashes there or coming in as, as recruiting in the, the mid-2000s. Um, was it mid-2000s, late-2000s, early aughts? I don't even remember. Uh so he asks, what recruit over the last 20 years or so were you convinced was at least going to be a major contributor, but ended up flaming out and barely seeing the field? Not necessarily the highest ranked guy, but somebody you irrationally latched onto who bombed. Okay, this is fun because I think everybody has these players who, and and, and I'll be honest, like I, I pay a little less attention to recruiting. Like it's easier in basketball when you only have a handful of guys. It's a little tougher in football because it's sort of like the MLB draft in, in a certain way where you're going to bring on a class of 20, 25 guys or whatever it is from the high school ranks. One or two of them, maybe a handful of them, maybe five of them are going to end up playing that first year right away. A lot of them you're not going to see for a couple of years. Some of them are going to transfer. Some of them are going to never play. And so, yes, you pay attention to some of the big recruits that are being brought in. Uh, you pay attention when it happens that these recruits are coming in. But then, you know, a month later... Could you recall anything of the scouting report of that guy unless you're very, very into recruiting, which I'm not always. Sometimes it's just like, let's just see what we got when they get here. But that said, if you pay attention at least a little bit, there are certain guys that you do get kind of an affinity to. Um, now, this one wouldn't really count because of the fact that he said not necessarily the highest ranked guy. This guy was Markel Combs. The the I mean, if you still go to like the, the Kansas football, like 24-7 sports recruiting page and it has like at the bottom if you're looking at their commits like highest ranked commits all time which i think the database goes back like 20 years markel combs is still number one uh he was the number one juco prospect in the country defensive line charlie weiss brought him on was supposed to be a huge splash for ku i don't even remember if he ended up playing he might have appeared in like one game i don't think he did i think he just like didn't really play i don't know if there was like off the field stuff going on and then he just like left the team he was never to be heard of again from the football perspective. That dude was supposed to be so talented and so good. I was convinced that, like, oh, you know, of course Kansas would hit the JUCO ranks hard. Like, of course. And this was my younger self. Like, and how stupid that ended up being. Uh, and Markel Combs, kind of a, a perfect example of that. Uh, what about Octavius Matthews? And this wasn't really his fault that he never hit the field. Um, because Octavius Matthews had a a health-related thing. I think it was like a heart condition, something that kept him off the field. He was a kid who transferred over from the JUCO ranks, super fast, like kind of gadget player that you could use as a running back receiver type guy. And I remember he like appeared in that last chance U series, not on the, the Mississippi whatever team that was featured, one of the teams they played and, and he had some highlights. And so there was some extra hype kind of coming his way of what he could be, but he never got on the field for health reason. That would be another one 
Um, I would say I was I was probably pretty. I, I was very high on Will Huggins coming out of high school, six foot seven, tight end. He could still turn into something though, so that one's not completely out of the water. He's been with KU two years. We just haven't really seen much of him, but I think there was a lot of hype coming out of high school. But there is a very clear top answer for me on this. Those guys were all honorable mention picks, and again, Huggins could end up like. Again, he's a six foot seven tight end who's athletic. Like, would it surprise you if by the time he's a junior or senior, turns into a really productive player? No, it would not. The top answer to me comes from a quarterback out of the class of 2016. Tyreek Starks, baby. I was all aboard the Tyreek Starks train. I thought this dude, I, I mean, I watched a lot more. I hate saying like tape because it makes it sound like I'm like breaking down the all 22. But I watched a lot more like highlight videos of Tyreek Starks chucking it all down the field. He had the the D1, the, the power five arm strength. Um, he was mobile enough. I think he came from Louisiana. I was all about Tyreek Starks. I was like, this guy is going to be the dude at quarterback. Give it a year or two. Let's see what he can do. And I don't know what happened to him. I think he transferred away. Didn't end up, uh, obviously, making an impact at KU, but that would be the answer for me. Tyreek Starks, for sure. Okay, next question comes from Jeshua. After finishing the Vegas loop, Elon Musk's boring company decided to partner with KU and the city of Lawrence to make a Lawrence loop. You are charged with choosing the six hot spots that are connected. What does your Lawrence loop look like? Okay, the, the, the easy start is obviously you got to have Allen Fieldhouse in there, right? And if you have a loop, so I'm, I'm honestly not that um, familiar with what this Vegas loop thing is. I don't know if it's like a, I think it's like a train, right? Or some sort of, I, I just know it's like some sort of like transportation system, essentially, that is going to go really fast and, and get you to the places you need to go and, and the hotspots or whatever, right? Um, So Allen Fieldhouse would make a lot of sense. It's somewhere that a lot of people want to go. You can park from elsewhere and, and end up there or whatnot. Um, by the way, this is interesting. Uh, Texas Tech, sorry, this just caught my eye. Texas Tech is going to be paying $25,000 per woman's basketball player at Texas Tech. So that's the first time we've really seen that transfer over where it's like, we're going to pay this whole team into a you know, non-big-time revenue sport like football or basketball. So that's kind of interesting. Nonetheless, uh, back to this question. Sorry. Uh, with Jeshua, so Allen Fieldhouse would be one. I would say you want one at the, I don't know, it, would it be too much to have one on both ends of Mass? Like, I know technically Massachusetts Street spans a long way, but from what we think of, like, Massachusetts Street in terms of the downtown Lawrence area, I consider it, like, I guess it'd go from 6th Street to, like, 12th Street, something like that. Would that be too much to have one on 12th Street, one on 11th Street? Like maybe on, you know, you could have it get off on, on New Hampshire or something like that and you walk over to Mass. Is that too lazy? Because you just have, you know, it's only half a mile, essentially a mile of what that block is. Do we really need two there? But you could do two there if you really wanted to. Uh, I think Rock Chalk Park would be good because I was trying to think of, you need something out in like kind of this side of town at West Lawrence just so that you can get out there on this stop. And the most logical place is probably Rock Chalk Park. I mean, there's restaurants nearish by Rock Chalk Park has the rec center. So people would want to take the public transportation to go to the rec center or whatnot. You have kind of events that go on there. So that one would make sense. And then, hmm, 
movie theater area, I guess, here in Lawrence. Like, that gets you... Because it's not just about, like, significant spots, but it's also about trying to hit up different areas that can be... I don't know, because there's, like, there's restaurants over there, there's shopping over there, there's the movie theater over there that gets you to that area of town. And then maybe, like, Clinton Lake. But I don't know where it'd take you to Clinton Lake. But I don't know. Maybe you could do something with that. I feel like that wasn't a great answer there, so I'm sorry. Uh, Next question comes from Brad... Let's say you can only attend two home KU football games this season. Which which ones would you pick? Okay, so you can only take two. I don't think I would do the Tennessee Tech game. I mean, ideally, like, here's the thing with the Tennessee Tech. I'm saying if you can only pick two, right? Go to all of them if you want. Um, if you can only pick two, it's not the Tennessee Tech game because even though it's the opener and stuff and, and even though it's a Friday night and you won't have to worry about it being like too hot and everything, it's either you you blow them out and it's not that great of a game and, and a lot of things are, are what you're expecting or it's you struggled versus them or lost the game and then it is a massive disappointment. So it wouldn't be that one. It would not be the Oklahoma State one because I just expect Oklahoma State to be really good this year, and, and that's going to be a tough one. We saw how that went last year. I guess uh, the Duke one for sure because that's going to be a good chance at a win, maybe KU's best chance at an FBS win. It should be a good enough game because it's not like like we were talking about with Matt. I don't like view one of these teams as just significantly better than the other. I think Kansas should win that game, and it – I think it'd be a bit of a disappointment if they didn't, but what's the point spread going to be? It's going to be single digits, so should be a good game. Going to be September weather, so it's not going to be too cold. That would be on there. And then I would say probably between like the, I mean, you could say the Texas, you just beat them last year. Uh, I would probably be between the Iowa State and the TCU game. And they've had a lot more recent success in the series with TCU than Iowa State. I also think Iowa State's better than TCU this year. So give me the TCU game at home, but both those would be up there because it's it's my favorite time of year is fall. You get the October weather, not too hot, not too cold. I'll go the Duke game and the TCU game for if you could only attend to. Our last one, this comes from Kevin. With the news of the Choco Taco being no more, what's your favorite ice cream truck treat? That's unfortunate. You know what's bad, though? I've never had the Choco Taco before, so I never got to enjoy it, and now it's being canceled, so I never will get to enjoy it, which that's unfortunate. I was always a fan of the, uh, the like, Push Pop Flintstone, um, what are they, like, popsicles, I guess? Those were always good. Um, I never got into the, you know, the, the popsicles that were, like, faces of things and had, like, bubble gum as, like, the eyes or something. I was never into that. Like, why do I want bubble gum? with my ice cream. But yeah, that would that, probably be my answer there. Something like that. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That is our KU mailbag. We'll do another one next week. RCST Trivia starts next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. 
Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Today's matchup is at least the first one, a top 10 matchup here for RCST Trivia. We have the preseason eighth ranked team, Nick Duncan, and the preseason 10th ranked team in Doug Crumpton Murray. And both these guys were, I believe, first year contestants in the basketball side of things and both made noise. Nick Duncan uh, made it to the sizzling 16. He upended one of our previous champions and Isaac in the second round. Doug made it all the way to the grade eight in his first appearance uh, and falling just short. And both of you guys really uh, set off storylines and, and shockwaves into the RCST Trivia Universe. Now you're back for the football side of things. And uh, Doug, we'll start with you here. You're preseason ranked 10th. Now, I, I think you would be higher preseason ranked for basketball. Um, but what is your level of knowledge for football? Because I think that's an unknown here. For all we know, if if you're the same guy you are in basketball, you're going to be a Titan. Uh, do you have the same knowledge for football that you do basketball? I do not have the same football knowledge, um, you know, but being growing up in Lawrence, of course, I followed it. Um, but, yeah, I, I know more than I did a week ago. That's for sure. So <laughs> I'm just going to try to do my best. Uh, Nick, you are the preseason eighth-ranked team. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that ranking? Do you feel like you should be ranked higher? Is that about right? Uh, I think there's probably a mistake in the rankings. I, I'm not sure that I should probably be in the top 10, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, uh, Doug, how would you classify your KU football fandom, I, I guess, in comparison to basketball? Well, I've been listening to the show and real quick, favorite KU player and a, and a Coca-Cola commercial memory to go with it. I'm a young lad. My favorite player is John Riggins. My father had some connections. I come home. And there's a program signed to me on my bed waiting for me. John Riggins came to my house and signed a program. So wow. I, I met him once, but that memory doesn't really stick out. It's like coming home and seeing that was like, wow, that was a really big deal. So that's my favorite KU football memory. Nick, do you have a favorite KU football memory? Yeah, kind of the same way I think I told you. My favorite player would have been my, my great uncle. And I remember when they still had the old track around the, the court at the field house, I would run around there they always had the uh the bowl team pictures and i think he was on that blue bonnet bowl team and i'd always go try to find that picture and find him so that's awesome probably my favorite football memory that's awesome well top 10 matchup even though both of you guys uh maybe don't feel like you deserve to be in the top 10 one of you is definitely going to uh come out on top of this one um so nick you're the higher ranked team i have a quarter here we're gonna go through four quarters of play i'll give you the option on the coin toss here nick do you want heads or tails Everybody keeps saying tails never fails and it's heads, so I'm just going to go with tails. Because it's got to right. be tails super right? Let's see. Up in the air. It is tails. So uh, you go. hit it this time. So you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? We'll go second. All right, Doug, that means you're up first. We'll start in the first quarter of play. 30 seconds to answer. This worth three points on the easy category in the first quarter. Doug, this wide receiver from Dallas, Texas owns the best and second best individual seasons for receiving yards at KU with 1,407 of them in 2008 and 1,337 of them in 2009. What's his name? That would be Briscoe. That is correct. Desmond Briscoe. And a good reminder there, last name works unless I need more if it's Smith or something. Uh, but yeah, Desmond Briscoe, the correct answer there. Three points for Doug on the board. Nick, your first question to tie the game at three. This wide receiver from Kansas 
owns the best and second best individual seasons for receptions at Kansas with 102 in 2009 and 97 in 2008. What's his name? Kerry Meyer. Yep, Kerry Meyer from Pittsburgh, Kansas. Heck of an athlete, former quarterback, and ends up hosting those records. All right, 3-3 the score into the second quarter of play. Back to you, Doug. In the 2007 season, Todd Reesing had his season high of six passing touchdowns in a game against what Big 12 North opponent? Nebraska. That is right. The Nebraska game was a 70-plus point outburst for the Jayhawks. And he had six passing touchdowns in that game. All right, Doug takes a 9-3 to three lead. Chance to tie it at 9. Headed into halftime for you here, Nick. Nick, Todd Racine had three games in that 2007 season where he scored a rushing touchdown. One of them came in the non-conference against Florida International. Can you name one of the other two opponents that he got a rushing touchdown against? You just need to name one of them. Probably eliminate that Nebraska game. Um, shoot, I don't know. I'll just go with Missouri. That's a good guess. Missouri is one of the correct answers. The other one was Virginia Tech. So, I mean, two very big games that he had those rushing touchdowns in. All right, we're tied 9-9. Nine to nine The score back to you, Doug, into the third quarter of play. Into the hard category for seven points. Doug, the highest that KU has ever been preseason ranked in the AP poll was the 1961 season when they were ranked what? Twelve. Not a bad guess. You're close. It was eighth. Eighth was the uh, correct answer there. Sometimes those are tough. You kind of got to run through all the, the rankings of football reference and everything. Okay, Nick, for you, take the lead here at the end of the third quarter. How many um, bowl wins does KU have all time? Looked at the bowl section, man. Look at specific just wins. Uh, just be taking a total guess. I'll say six. <laughs> Your guesses are on point, man. The correct answer I mean, is six. Educated guess. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was an educated guess. Uh, all right, so Nick, you're up sixteen to nine. So Doug, you got to answer this right to have a chance to win. But if you do answer it right, you get the lead back and you put the pressure onto Nick. So Doug, for you, for eight points. Only trailing Jake Sharp, what Jayhawk finished second on the 2008 team in rushing yards with 309 of them? McClendon? Correct answer is Angus Quigley. Kind of a forgotten name there, Angus Quigley. All right, so Nick, you have secured the win, um, but 
points are a tiebreaker. And there's obviously, you know, this isn't basketball where it's single elimination. Both of you guys still have a lot of games in front of you where you can, you know, go to the playoff or go to a bowl game. So this is important for you, Nick, to try to add even more points to help with any uh, possible tiebreakers. So, Nick, for you, only trailing Desmond Briscoe and Kerry Meyer, what Jayhawk finished third on the 2008 team in receiving yards with 573 of them? Can you read that question again? Sorry. Yeah, only trailing Briscoe and Meyer. What Jayhawk finished third in 2008 in receiving yards with 573 of them? I'm not sure this is the right year, so I'm just another receiver. I can think of Marcus Herford. Correct answer is Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan Wilson was third on the team in receiving yards there. All right, so in the end, Nick, the third quarter correct answer on the educated guess. Gets you there through with the victory, 16-9 to nine the final score there. Uh, so, Nick, take us through, because both on the uh, medium round and the hard round in the second and third quarters, you kind of had educated guesses. So what brought you through that process to that end result? Like I say, the one I kind of eliminated Nebraska on having that many touchdown passes, so he probably didn't have a rushing one. And I just kind of figured that Missouri game, uh, I don't know, just – just a lucky guess on that one. Probably the bowl game one, a little more educated guess. A new, a new one, many it should be more, but um, again, kind of more of an educated guess, but probably more of a guess. Well, Doug, uh, you know, I, that, that's tough, but again, the beauty of this is that you win your next three games, you know, everything's still in front of you here that they have everything there, but um would you have known the answer to, to any of the ones that, that Nick got along the way there? I knew the uh, bowl number of bowl games, bowl wins. Um, Going to have to talk to my team about second half adjustments. You know, it's <laughs> a tough second half there. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see if you rebound in uh, week two coming up. But good first matchup for both of you guys. Nick, congratulations on the win. Doug, we'll see you next week. I know you're going to be chomping at the bit to get uh, on the winning ways. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, Derek. Good luck, Doug. Thank you. That always makes you feel worse when you're one of the contestants and it's like, I lost, and the other guy made educated guesses on two of them. Like, that. that's a tough way to go, especially when, you know, Doug said he knew the answer to the bull wins and, and stuff. That That's uh, a tough way to go about it for Doug. But like I said, they, this is the beauty to this one that even if you do have a loss in there, you can still fight through. You can still accomplish everything you want to accomplish along the way in, in terms of making a bowl game or making the playoff because I think 3-1 and one is going to win most of these divisions. In some cases, it might be 3-1 and one with the right tiebreaker, um, but I do think there are going to be several divisions, at least one or two of them, uh, where, you know, and maybe it'll be all four, where if you go two and two, but it's the right two and two where you have the the highest amount of points of the two and two teams, I think that's going to be enough to finish top two in the division. At the very least, it it should be good enough to finish top three, which guarantees you a spot in uh, next year's edition of trivia. So good first matchup there between Nick Duncan and Doug Crumpton Murray. We have one more to get to today. It's our final one of the week between Hunter Turpin and Michael Plank. That on the other side, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk and RCST Trivia. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. 
Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Second and final matchup of the day here for RCST Trivia. We're brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, and Jayhawk Trophy. And this is a matchup between Hunter Turpin and Michael Plank, who are both newcomers to the uh, trivia realm of things. So, Hunter, we'll start with you. I can see a, a bunch of, uh, you know, KU stuff and, and whatnot uh, on the walls and everything there. How would you classify your KU fandom and, and what made you want to get involved in this? Um, I just I love KU football and uh, I think it deserves a little more attention now that we have Lance. And uh, I think um, I it just seemed like something I'd love to do. So. Well, uh, Michael, you're also a newcomer, and I've heard good things about your football passion and football knowledge. So uh, same question for you. What's what's kind of your background as uh, a KU football fan and, and your expertise level? Well, boy, I don't know about my expertise level, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my very first game was the uh, 1993 game against Nebraska when they almost, uh, they almost beat them. They went for two with 50 seconds left and didn't get it. And I've been a fan. I fell in love, and I've been a fan ever since. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll just we're just here to have fun and see how it goes. Uh, Hunter, do do you feel slighted at all not being ranked in the preseason top ten? Uh, a little bit, but um, I mean, that comes with being new, so I have to earn my way there. Michael, what about you? Do you think you should be in the top ten? Well, I don't know about the top ten, but especially after listening to the couple of the segments earlier this week, but uh, <laughs> we shall see. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, I have a quarter here that we'll go ahead and toss to determine who goes first, who goes second. Um, I guess, Michael, I will uh, give you the option here of uh, picking. Do you want to choose heads or tails? Uh, let's go heads. All right. It is tails. So, Hunter, you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh, I will go second. Okay. Michael, that means you're up first. We'll start in the first quarter, which is the easy category. These are worth three points. Michael, for you, the last bowl game that Kansas appeared in came on December 31st of 2008 in what bowl? I believe that was the Insight Bowl. That's correct. The Insight Bowl, which has now actually uh, slowly progressed into the Cheez-It Bowl, which has been uh, fun on its own right. Okay, Hunter, for you. When KU played in that last bowl game in the 2008 Insight Bowl, who did they beat? That would be the University of Minnesota. Yep, Minnesota. I think Lawrence Maroney was on that team. I don't know. I could be wrong with that. All right. 3-3, three to three, the score through the first quarter of play. And back to you, Michael, into the medium round. Second quarter, these are worth six. Michael, name this Jayhawk quarterback who finished with 28 total touchdowns in the 2003 season to help Kansas make the Tangerine Bowl. That sounds like Bill Whittemore to me. It is Bill Whittemore. So I'm glad it sounded like him. That is six points for you there. Bill Whittemore had uh, quite the season there for the Jayhawks to help them go bowling. All right, Hunter, for you to tie it going into the halftime break. Name this Jayhawk who wore the number seven and finished with 112 tackles and 13 tackles for loss 
on the 2005 team that made the Fort Worth Bowl? Um, gosh, um, I'm gonna throw a shot in the dark and go with 10 seconds. I'll go with Daryl Stuckey. Correct answer is Nick Reed. Ah, Nick Reed, kind of a linebacker safety hybrid, and uh, he was really good for KU. All right, you still got questions ahead. You're gonna try to make it up nine to three, though. Michael, you've got the lead headed into the halftime break and uh, a chance to gain a double digit lead here in the third quarter into the hard round of things. Michael, who did Kansas lose to 15 to 14 in the 1969 Orange Bowl? I believe that was the Penn State Nittany Lions. That is correct. Tough loss for KU at the end. Penn State went for two. And uh, that is a big seven points for you, Michael. You take a 16 to three lead. So Hunter, you gotta get this one to stay alive for the possible win here. Who did Kansas beat 23 to 20 in the 1992 Aloha Bowl? I know they played in the Aloha Bowl twice in the 90s. I believe it was BYU. That is correct. Good call there. Yeah, they played again three years later against uh, UCLA. So that's a big pull for you there. Keeps you alive for the win. Michael, you currently lead 16 to 10. You have a chance to clinch the win here into the really hard round of things. This worth eight points. Michael, Kansas lost just one game in the 1905 season. Who did it come against? Shot in the dark, Oklahoma. That's always a good guess. It's like Oklahoma, yeah. Nebraska, Missouri. This would be another one that could classify as a good guess. It would be Colorado. Colorado was the correct answer. A uh, longtime conference member. And who knows? Maybe future conference member of the Kansas Jayhawks <laughs> once again here to come. All right, Hunter, you've got a chance to, to come from behind. You were down 16-3. to It's now 16-10. If you hit this, you get the win. Hunter, for you. The 2007 Jayhawks had just two games where they did not force a turnover. One was against Missouri. Who was the other? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of close games they had. Um, Ten seconds. Uh, I'll go with Colorado. Correct answer is, and that wasn't a bad one because that was a close game. The correct answer is Southeastern Louisiana. Oddly oh. enough, it was the FCS opponent who they did not force a turnover against. So uh, that's a tough one there. That It ends 16-10. to 10. Michael, you come out victorious, but I don't think, uh, Hunter, you should hang your head there. That was a good effort, and you almost came away with the uh, victory in the end there. So, Michael... You get a victory in your first trivia appearance. Thoughts on your first performance? Oh, man. Uh, like I said, we're just here to have fun. So that was a that was a good time and good showing by Hunter there. I would I would not have known that one either. I knew the Nick Reed one, but I didn't I didn't know that last one. Yeah, when when you uh, heard the the start of it where you got the 1905 and you heard the start of it 2007, was there a moment in time where you were like, oh, no, what happened? Oh, here? Total panic. I was just like, <laughs> oh, we blew a coverage and he's going to score. And oh, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, it ended up being harder than you might have thought. Well, Hunter, <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on on your first performance here? Um, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I'm definitely gonna brush up on my history a little more and be back and better for the next round. But uh, I got to give my hat off to Michael. He uh, seemed uh, very knowledgeable and seemed like a very worthy opponent. Yep. Well, uh, obviously everything's still in front of both of you guys. Still plenty of business to take care of with uh, more matchups to come for both of you. So we appreciate you guys being a part of this, and we look forward to speaking with you for your future matchups. Thank you. Thank you. Those are two solid matchups there. Anytime we're getting the you know double-digit range, 16-9 in the first one, 16-10 in the second one, that's always, I think, a good sign for uh, how these go. And I, I thought for a second Hunter was going to make the, the mega comeback there. I like those questions. Those are fun. Those are uh, real fun. Okay, uh, that is RCST trivia for the day. Once again, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, where you can get dine-in, carry-out, catering, all available. You can check out their outdoor patio to enjoy the warm weather, or once football season starts, which is right around the corner, perfect spot to go watch the game. You can try the Bill Self mac and cheese, the Haney turkey stack, any of the great menu items. You can get the Hank Booth burger of the uh, Hank Booth of KLWN fame here. Don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with all their crowlers. Also, Jayhawk Trophy. It's not just about all the trophies they provide, whether it's for you know your youth sports team or your fantasy league, or whatever reason you want a trophy. They're also engraving experts at well as well at Jayhawk Trophy. And Johnny's Tavern with 12 locations in the area, including here in Lawrence and in nearby Topeka as well as Kansas City to Blue Springs and uh, a bunch of areas with Johnny's Tavern. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. But that is RCST Trivia for the week. We'll have our updated top 10 come out over the weekend. We'll send out some updated uh, standings tables for you coming here in the next coming days. And if you are a, a contestant, you're listening along to this, check your email because uh, by the time uh, this airs out, you're probably going to have a, a schedule emailed out just for uh, confirmation. Anyway, we'll be back after this timeout.